Possum Podcast. Toot toot. Hey, Mr. Possum. Yep. You ever hear about that time I got thrown to a pack of wolves? No, I did not. Did you come back leading the pack? Uh, no. Not exactly. See, that pack already had a good leader, and I recognized that, and uh, I, I didn't want to destabilize things, so I settled into a different but also important role, which actually, if you think about it, is a form of leadership itself. So sort of, yeah, I guess in in one sense, I did become the leader of the pack. Mm, what was your role? Oh, I was in like a, it was sort of a management position, I would say, management. Management, oh, I mean like an advisor, like like sort of like a Tyrion Lannister kind of feller. Oh, uh, no, they actually already had some really good advisors. So, again, I declined to upset the existing power structure, and I instead isolated some unique places where their system was failing, like uh, cleanliness, for instance, and uh, organization, I would say. Oh, so you picked up after the wolves. You were the maid. You were the maid of the back. Well, I prefer to think of it like a management position. In any case, I was a critical member of a literal pack of wolves, and that it's pretty cool, isn't it, Mr. Possum? Big Al, is this story true? What? Is it true? Like, is it real? Did it happen? Is it, you know, true? Is it real? Uh, I mean, <laughs> Mr. Possum, that's kind of rude to just say, is this true, after someone starts telling you a story. No, no, it isn't. Uh, did it happen? Well, I mean, it, no. I, I mean, it's not technically true in that the, yes, the events did not technically happen. Okay. But it's what's known as a tall tale, Mr. Possum. Oh, a tall tale. In which events are exaggerated to, hey, perhaps maybe get to a deeper truth. You know? Like that it would be cool to join a pack of wolves. Or maybe, for no reason at all, it's just fun to make up stupid stories, you know? Yeah, that's different. That's fun. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I like fun stuff. Hey, you know what? Why don't we tell some stupid stories tonight? Yeah, just do me a favor and don't uh, question the veracity of everything I say tonight, because these, these stories are going to be exaggerated, but they're also going to be cool, and you know what? They might actually point at some kind of deeper truth or uh, reality about the human condition, or I suppose in your case, the stinky old animal condition. Right. Quite a condition I've got. you got a few conditions, actually. Yeah, I'm chronically wet, and I stink, and I sometimes die, you know. But I think that the possum condition could still be described with a lot of crazy stories. Let's do it. Let's do some tall tales, Big Al. Big Al, will you kick off the night with your first tall tale? Gather round, listeners, and hear the tale of Helena Ridge, the strongest lady who ever lived. Ooh. 
It was said that Helena's head was the size of a traffic light controller box, and she stood the width of a shipping container. Her legs stood firm and large and immovable, like two giant ancient sequoia trees. And her arms, well, her arms were also like sequoia trees. Helena Ridge wore a size 800 shoe and dressed in Tyvek home covering sheets. But her most noticeable trait, beyond her pleasant eyes, captivating smile, and shapely waist-to-bust measurement ratio, was that she could hold a pair of digging shovels like chopsticks between her fingers, and she could dig like the day is long. Helena dug tunnels and holes like no one else around. She could dig two trenches at once on either side of her, should the need for such a thing occur. And she wasn't just good at digging, she loved it. Let's get a hole going, Helena would say, in response to just about any problem. The town she lived in was full of hole and tunnel-based solutions to everyday problems, like parking and pest management. This town didn't have a jail. It had a big old hole they would push people into. The town orphanage was also a hole, albeit a much nicer one. Heck, the mayor lived in a hole. Which is to say, every few years, the town elected a guy mayor and shoved him into a hole. It was not the best political system there is, but also not the worst. So Helena Ridge had a tremendous amount of sway and say in the town, and just about everybody owed her a favor. And mostly she was beloved. Except by her spurned wannabe boyfriend, Frank Urges. Frank Urges. Frank grew tired of not having his love for Helena Ridge reciprocated, and eventually resented the fact that she would rather dig around in some dirt than roll around in the hay with him. So Frank Urges came up with a scheme that could only come from the mind of one who has been spurned and curved. He would do away with Helena once and for all. He happened upon Helena in the town square where she was digging a new fountain to go with the old fountain she had dug a few weeks prior. Hey, what's the deepest you ever dug, Helena? Asked Frank. Oh, I don't know. It's not the depth of the hole. It's how well and fast it's dug, Frank, she replied. I'll bet you couldn't go that deep, he stuttered out. An obviously deceptive goad, but he managed to sell it. Hey, how deep we talking, Frank, said Helena back. I'll bet you couldn't dig a hole so deep you can't hustle and scrape your way back out of it. Some nearby townsfolk began to protest, but it was too late. The challenge had been stated, and Helena never backed away from a bed. She picked a nice spot right out of town and began digging. All day and night she dug, stopping occasionally to see if she could wriggle and clamor and jump and still make it up to the top of the hole. And she always could. Until a couple days later, she looked up behind herself and she could not even see the light at the top of the hole. She was deep in the ground and there was no way back out. Well, she thought to herself, guess I should see what happens if I keep digging. And she kept digging and digging and digging and digging until eventually she reached the center of the earth where there was a rock-hard pit that even with her strength, her worn-out shovel blades could not cut into. Well, I don't know how I could get deeper than this, she said to herself, and she sat down on the earth's core and unwrapped her sandwich. What was in the sandwich? Was it a hot ham and cheese? Mr. Possum, it's not important what was in the sandwich. The important thing to convey here is that she feels a sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Having done something so incredible and dramatic as digging to the center of the earth. Now, does the legend say that she sits there still eating her sandwich in the middle of the earth? Or did she die down there? Mr. Possum, you can't just 
go asking what happens after the end of all these tall tales. I mean, Paul, what happened after the end of Paul Bunyan? Uh, I don't know. I guess they all died, you know, eventually. <laughs> it's coming for us all. Yeah. We'll focus on the fun parts. I do wonder what happened to that old scallywag, Frank Urges. But I'll just keep that to myself. If I remember correctly, uh, Frank Urges moved a couple towns over and started a health food store. Mm. Urges Good Living, it was called. Oh, hey, that's that's good. I think a fitting end for Frank Urges would be that the townspeople, angry that he exiled the best digger around, refused to bury him when he died because they wouldn't dig a hole for him, so they just left his body out for the birds. <laughs> Mr. Possum, that actually would be the perfect conclusion to this story. You have found it. And since it's a lie, let's say that is what happened. Yeah. Not the most pleasant image. I don't think you would want to put that image at the end of the children's book that this story is uh, eventually written down in. I don't think you want that last page to be Frank's dead body face down in the dirt. Possum. What? It's your turn. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. You ever wonder why there's so many dang stink bugs here in this country? I assume it's because they're native uh, to the land. Oh, yeah, no. This, this is a, that's a short tale. No, I'm talking about a tall tale. Okay. I gotta tell you the story of Tommy Stinkbug. Back in the 1700s here in America, he walked around the whole country just dropping stink bugs out of his pocket wherever he went. A trail of stink. Some say he was part stink bug, which was great for him because people didn't like him dropping bugs out of his pockets, you know, and they'd try to kill him sometimes. And he'd say, sir, you may kill me if you want, but I promise I will stink real bad. Ah. And then they left him alone. So that's the part of him that was the stink bug, the goo. Yeah. He had a stink bug's goo in him. Right, he had a stink bug's goo. He traveled all across the land, blessing the earth with the gift of stink bugs. He did this from the age of 10 until he was an old man, Big L. Some say he was a retired soldier from the Revolutionary War. So you know he had a nice wig and that whole kind of George Washington thing going on. (laughs) And he played a flute. And he played it well. When his hands weren't busy throwing bugs out of his clothes, he played that flute pretty good. Okay. Well, that's how the townspeople knew that the bugs was coming, because they heard that dang flute, and they're like, wow, this town's going to be lousy with them. Well, he met his end in a small burg in Kentucky, actually. Oh, wow. When Tommy was an old man, he was dropping bugs on the property of a family. And they did not heed his warning of stinking when he died, as a stink bug would. And the whole family, from toddler to grandpa, shot him with muskets. And they cheered, because they were already having a family thing with a barbecue, and that just kind of made it perfect for them. But here's the thing. His warning came true. He did, indeed, stink when he died. And that's how the town of Stench, Kentucky got its name. 
Some say in that town when you step on a stink bug, you can hear old Tommy stink bugs flute in the wind, tootling around like a flute would. Now, did he have a signature song? I think it was probably something real happy, you know, because he didn't look at it like, oh, look out, here comes the stink bugs. He looked at it like a positive thing, like, here comes stink bugs. So it's probably like... It was probably whistling stinky instead of whistling Dixie. That doesn't exactly work, but... Walking around the country whistling stinky. I wonder how he was dressed to keep all them stink bugs in his pockets. That's why I think he was just a pile of stink bugs, because it's like there's no way you can just keep them in your clothes like that. Now, I know that takes the fun out of the tall tale, but... Boy, it don't take away from the fun to say that he was just a bug dressed like George Washington walking around, you know? I mean, I, I think that's still a pretty tall tale mm. to tell a story where a bunch of bugs have climbed on top of each other and made a person. Mm-hmm. In any instance, that is the tallest stink bug I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Which, again, would be a tall tale. Yeah, they say he was 10 feet tall, made of bugs, playing a flute. Yeah, it does sound good. What's your next tall tale for everybody? Once, there was a very sleepy man named Brian Pilla. Brian loved to sleep, and he was incredibly good at it. People in the nearby villages would all say, Hoo-wee, I'm as tired as Brian Pilla. But there was, of course, no way that was true. No one is as tired as Brian Pilla was. Mm-hmm. Brian made his living betting people that he could sleep longer than them, and he was undefeated. He held numerous international records in sleeping for days and sometimes weeks at a time. His bed was the Cadillac of beds, the Serta S series with a custom firmness. And he had a mechanism that flopped his pillows over to the cool side every half hour, like a gas station hot dog on rollers. (laughs) And should you worry about his schedule leaving him malnourished, his bedchamber looked like the steamed up window of many a Chinese restaurant with Peking duck hanging from ropes above his bed. So tender and juicy, it often left the bone itself and fell into his mouth while he slumbered. Brian Pilla even had a signature snore. Not a honk shoe or a me, 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 me. You might hear from pedestrian sleepers. Brian's snore alternated between the mighty sound of a wave crashing upon the beach and Axl Rose saying, sha na 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 He was a legendary sleeper at the top of the bedtime game. But one day a man came into town on a private train. A man by the name of Mr. Business. First name Mr., last name Business. That was his real name. And he had heard of some small town local pride in his vicinity. And thus he came with his wealth and his ladder climbing minions to quash it. I shall prove, he said to the crowd gathered at his train, that my new sleeping machine can sleep better 
than this local amateur can. Soon after that, Mr. Business unveiled his new sleeping machine. It was quite a sight. Stainless steel and high-impact rubber with the finest new hydraulic limbs. He poured some high-octane leaded gasoline into the sleep engine and pushed down on the pedal activator with his foot, and that machine began to purr. And then it began to sizzle. And soon, it began to snore. Large backflap valves created a deep and resounding sinus clap, while a dulcet and perfectly pitched whine gushed gently from a steam valve. The chest of the mighty machine rose and fell gently, while its mechanical fingers and toes curled and uncurled in a natural and unpatterned fashion. The crowd gasped in amazement as the machine allowed one of its feet to escape the confines of the blanket to regulate the temperature of the entire system. It was, by all accounts, the best sleeping anyone had ever seen. Mr. Business set a timer next to the sleeping machine and said, In 100 days, my new sleeping machine will have beaten the previous record by nearly 100 hours. And at that point, I will have proven that machines and efficiency are better than humans and will. Hurrah, he shouted. Brian Pilla was told of the news, to which he responded, Who cares? And went back to sleep. The 100 days proved difficult for Mr. Business, however, as he had to constantly monitor the oil and coolant levels, as well as the rhythm of the valves in his sleeping machine. He himself did not sleep a wink the entire time and was admitted to the hospital with exhaustion, leaving his machine in the hands of his incompetent staff. The machine, of course, failed mere hours after this. And hearing that news on his deathbed, Mr. Business said, let it be known that it is folly to try to defeat the great will and pride of the common man. When Brian Pillow awoke several days later with the new sleeping record, he was informed of the attempt and he laughed. So much for machines, he said, and went back to sleep. Now, I think the most impressive machine, not old Mr. Business, not his sleeping machine. I'm not impressed with that. Who cares? Yeah. I'm more impressed by the machine that dropped tender duck meat into the mouth of Brian Pillow. Where can I buy that? Well, it's a simple machine, Mr. Possum. That's very simple. Is it? That's simply some twine and some ducks. You just hang them from the ceiling. And if the ducks are tender enough, that meat comes right off the bone. Now, that's a machine, Big Hell. Yeah. Well, simple machines are the best. Uh, a machine that simply uses gravity to move food into your mouth. Like some kind of, you know, uh, sword of Daphicles. Daphicles? Is that a pun because of Daffy Duck? <laughs> yes, Mr. Possum. Oh, toot toot. Toot toot, thank you. It's Mr. Possum's turn to regale us with the tallest tale he can think of. Have you ever heard the tale of Porky the Pancake Bear? No, I have not. Well, here it goes. Well, there was once a big old grizzly bear named Porky, and he wore an apron all the time. And he lived to break into people's houses and make them delicious flapjack breakfasts. 
and boy, were they good. But, you know, he was a bear, so people were afraid of him. Even though he was wearing an apron, they were afraid of him. They thought they were just coming in to raid him and maul him and stuff, you know? Right. They were terrified, and they often tried to shoot him with their muskets. Uh-huh. But old Porky brought his cast iron pans with him for the pancakes, and the bullets bounced right off. And you know what? So did the insults. Awful gracious of him to still make you pancakes after you've shot at him with your musket. Right, because he had this attitude of, like, just wait. I know what I look like. Wait until you taste my flapjacks before you shoot me. But he understood that he was scary. Yeah. So they wasted all their musket bullets, and they had no choice but to give him access to their kitchen and eat pancakes and a great deal of fear. So he was a big old great bear with a big heart, big owl. Everybody was scared of him until they tried his pancakes. They were delicious. Fear might actually help you eat pancakes because that chattering of the teeth would uh, grind the pancake up in your mouth and make it easier to swallow. That's true. And maybe that's what he was going for, but we'll never know. But there was a catch with old Porky. You better pay him a compliment and an apology for shooting at him because he was known to maul people who were rude about his pancakes. So unless you wanted to visit the old 1800s mall of America with Porky... You better be real kind about your reviews on them pancakes. Okay, that is far less gracious than I had initially thought. If the penalty for not appreciating the pancakes enough is that he still mauls you like a bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's complicated. I don't want that kind of danger hanging over me while I'm trying to enjoy my pancakes. I don't know that pancakes are worth it. I love pancakes. I don't know that they're worth that kind of stress. I agree. That's a lot of pressure. He's real touchy. Yeah, more like Touchy, the... What is his name? Porky. His name's Porky. Porky. Yeah. Some say Porky the Pancake Bear still walks around in the woods with all of his loud pans and apron full of old butter. So if you see him, open up your door and let him cook your breakfast and lie to him about how they taste. Boy, we've had quite the time telling some tall tales here tonight, but Big Al's got one more of his for you. Won't you spin a yarn? That's right, I got another tall tale. And my last tall tale this evening is the classic Northeastern legend of the foolish moose. Now, this counts as a tall tale because moose are actually quite smart. And it's actually quite uh, magical and fantastical for a moose to be this stupid. Okay. Moose have been known for years to hold down jobs as wilderness guides, and in some cases, moose have been put in charge of inventory for small supply companies as they appear to have a good memory for big numbers and amounts. But not this moose. The foolish moose, for whom this story is named, was not smart at all, and he wasted away his days grazing on the lush foliage that surrounded the great swamp. Every once in a while, the foolish moose would get bored and decide to butt his large, empty head against the trunk of a tree. Ah, please knock that off, said the trunk of a mighty ancient elm. I can take no more of it, for I feel my roots beginning to lose grip upon the earth. So what, said the foolish moose, 
and he butted the mighty elm again, and it began to lean slightly. Look, you foolish moose, I'm leaning now. I shall fall over soon. So what? said the moose, and he butted the tree another time. This time the tree fell over on its side, exposing the roots and upsetting the den of a family of beavers. Ah, said the mighty ancient elm, this is it for me. I'm finished. I have shaded this great swamp for a hundred summers, and now I am timber. This stinks. The family of beavers jumped up and chided the moose for upsetting their home. What were you thinking, you foolish moose? I wasn't thinking, said the moose. I don't need to think. I like swamp grass and making a mess. Well, if we have nowhere to live, you dumb old moose, the swamp will dry up and your grass will die, said the beavers. So what, said the foolish moose, and he chased the beavers off with his huge antlers. I hate being told things, said the foolish moose to himself. In the next few weeks, the swamp dried up and left a large barren area of mud where the moose's swamp grass used to be. There was still one small patch of grass left, and the moose began to chow down on it hungrily. Oh, you foolish moose, said the patch of swamp grass. If you eat me, there will be no grass left to reproduce and make more grass. So what, said the foolish moose, and he ate all the grass, foolishly. Well, time to go trash some other dumb swamp, the foolish moose said to himself as he finished off the last of the swamp grass. But as he tried to move, he realized his legs were stuck deep in the mud. Ah, this stinks, he hollered. This stinks so bad. Perhaps you should have listened to the tree and the beavers and the patch of swamp grass, said a vulture perched in a nearby tree. But I suppose this way, you shall soon make an excellent feast for me and my vulture friends. You don't want to eat me, said the moose. That's a bad idea. You should help dig me out of the mud instead. And why is that, said the vulture? Because, uh, uh, well, I don't know. The moose didn't have a reason. He had no chips to bargain with, and so he perished. And as he lingered there in his final moments, in the punishing summer sun, the great mighty elm looked over, still a trickle of sap running through its veins, and it said, Way to go, idiot. Way to go. I love this, actually, replied the moose. <laughs> this actually rocks. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm about to say something really smart, so I'm going to put on my glasses, okay? Okay. Wow. I didn't even know you had glasses. Here they are. Look at me. I was listening to this story, and I see it as a cautionary tall tale. It's, the moose is actually stupid people, and it's about not, you know, farting all over your environment and screwing it up. Oh, I don't, I don't think you were listening very, uh, very closely, Mr. Possum. This is not about people. This is about a, a foolish moose. Yeah, but it's about people. I still got my glasses on. No, no, I, I'm, I'm afraid you're mistaken. <laughs> this has nothing to do with people. Uh, I mean, we, we, we certainly aren't out there uh, chomping on some swamp grass, <laughs> you know. So I guess it's just, just a waste of time then. It's just a story about a foolish moose. Well, it's a tall tale. Sure, it's a waste of time. Yeah. What else are you going to do around the campfire? Stare into your beans? I do like a good bean stare. I guess there's a lesson to be learned that tall tales are just sometimes stuff that happened, you know, and it doesn't have to mean nothing. Yeah, I think that's actually, especially uh, the thing to take away from the Foolish Moose story, is that sometimes things just happen, and there's nothing to be done about it or nothing to learn from it. 
Mr. Possum, go ahead and tell us uh, the final tall tale of the evening. Well, we've all heard the tall tale of Bronny the Paper Towel Man. It's a big tall hunk in the flannel shirt that cleans up spills with paper towels. He's everywhere. But did you know he had a brother named Brainy the Towel Man? Brainy the Towel Man. It was brains and brawn. Right. And uh, and uh, he, here's the thing. He was not blessed with the hunky good looks of brawny. Right. He didn't have a beard or nothing, and he had his, his head was too big to carry that big old brain around. His head looked like a big old lump of raw biscuit with hair in it. Right. He looked awful. Yeah, sounds pretty bad. <laughs> but he was a whiz at cleaning up spills. But, I mean, Brawny, he, he actually used paper towels to clean up big outdoor spills. I mean, that ain't smart. You know, he's got to constantly turn around and go, let me go get more rolls. Yeah. And then he vanishes for days and comes back, and then it's like, well, it looks like it's dry now. I'll forget it. You know, that's just bad surface. That's bad spill cleanup surface. But here's the thing. Both Bronny and Brainy, they both meant well. They were big old giants that just went around cleaning up spills outside. But here's the thing. Brainy was better at it. He used a nice chamois, something that would really mop up spills, you know? Yeah. And then he would go to a local pond or river and then wring out the rag. And then he would have a fresh chamois for the next spill. But he looked weird. And he didn't look good on the paper towel brand, so all we know is just brawny with his crappy paper. Yeah. But also, uh, you sell people a chamois one time. You sell them paper towels, you know, every week. So in in one sense, I actually think brawny is smarter than brainy. He's a more crafty capitalist, that's for sure. Yeah. But brainy was just a... Just a good, weird-looking feller who loved to clean up spills with his magic chamois. And boy, the fish did love it when he rang out that rag into the river and they got all sorts of new flavors from whatever was spilled. Well, whatever happened to Brainy? What what, what, what ended up happening to him? I mean, I see Brawny all the time. I know Brawny's doing great. Brawny's on top of the world. I thought you didn't want to know how he met his end. Well, you got me with this one, Mr. Possum. But uh, but I really do need to need to know what the end of this story is. Well, here's what happened since you ask. Brainy developed a chamois that was too good at absorbing moisture. Uh-huh. And he kept it in his pockets and stuff. And it soaked up all the moisture in his body and he dried up like an old leaf and just kind of flittered away. Oh, wow. That's horrifying. He was too good at it. Well, let that be a lesson to the folks at home. Don't be too good at stuff. It's a real chamois, isn't it? What happened to him? <laughs> toot toot, Mr. Possum. Toot toot. The Big Howl and Possum Podcast. Toot toot. <laughs>